If you remember last Sunday, we started a series, Getting to Know Jesus Christ, Believe and Live. And the reason I titled, or the reason I chose that title for this particular series is that's really what Jesus Christ says, or John says about Jesus Christ in his gospel account. At the very end of the book, he announces the fact that Jesus Christ is who he said he was and that we should believe, and if we truly believe, we would experience eternal life. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I would ask that you open them to the book of John. John, the first chapter, we want to go back to where we were studying last week. And as you're turning your Bible there, I would just like to make a few comments about the Gospel of John or John's account of the Gospel. I shared with you last week, there are not four different Gospels. There's one Gospel, four different accounts. We have the account of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of the unique things, or what really makes the Gospel of John most unique is this. It is so different than the other three gospel accounts. In the other three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are really focusing on what Jesus Christ did. They spend a lot of time focusing on the miracles, the healings, those things that Jesus Christ did while he was here on earth. But that is not true of the gospel of John. John spends a lot of time concentrating on who Jesus Christ is rather than what Jesus Christ did. So last Sunday, we began to ask ourselves that question, who is Jesus? And in the opening verses of the Gospel of John, we discovered three tremendous truths that John presented to us concerning Jesus Christ. John said, Jesus is the Word. He is God become human flesh. That Jesus Christ is also the eternal God, that He has always existed. And the third statement that John made in these opening verses is that Jesus Christ is Creator. By Him, through Him, and for Him, everything has their existence. He is the Creator God. Now, don't ask me exactly how all of that works, because I can promise you, I cannot wrap my mind around an infinite God, especially in my finite being. There's sometimes this side of heaven, we're just going to struggle to understand some things about who God is. Is that not true? Sure we are. He is God and we are not. He is the creator. We are the created. How in the world could we ever think we would know everything about God? There's no way we can answer all of the questions. And there are some things this side of heaven we are just going to have to accept by faith. And one of the things that I accept by faith is the fact that God is a triune God who has revealed himself in three persons. One God, three different persons. Now, don't ask me exactly how all of that works. There is no analogy, no illustration that can ever really draw to a conclusion exactly what it means to worship a triune God. But at the same time, we know it's true because that is how God presents himself to us in Scripture. So we must accept that, right? We must accept that as being true. Now, remember last week when we raised the question, who is God? This is what I told you. It's not really important what others say about who God is. What's most important is who do you say God is? 
I am convinced that is the most important question we will ever ask and answer in this life. Who do you say Jesus is? And if we're going to answer that question today, we must examine the evidence. Would you agree with me on that this morning? If we truly want to understand who Jesus Christ is, we must look at the evidence that is presented to us. And that's exactly what John does in the opening verses of the Gospel of John. Last week, he offered us three tremendous claims concerning Jesus Christ. This week, John is going to continue that thought. He is going to stack on those three claims three more claims that we see here in the opening verses of the Gospel of John. He's going to say that Jesus Christ is the life, and that Jesus Christ is the light, and he's going to conclude by saying that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all biblical prophecy. So I want us to begin this morning with reading in verse 4, and along the way we're going to stop, and I'm going to share with you some of the truths, and we're going to make some comments about them today. And I hope when we walk away this morning, we will be able to weigh the evidence and see if Jesus Christ is who He truly confesses to be. So let's begin reading right here in verse 4. Listen to what John says in chapter 1, John, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. There it is right there. In verse 4, John offers us his first truth about Jesus Christ. When I read the words of John here, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, it seems as though John is echoing the words of Jesus Christ himself. Later on, John is going to record for us what Jesus said about himself. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes it very clear that he is the source of true life. Now, I want us to stop there just a moment. Because as I look at America, there are many people who are convinced, have convinced themselves that they are experiencing true life. They are wide open, wide open in pursuing the American dream, seeking to get their hands on a piece of it. But is that true life? Is that all that we have to offer or to hope for in this world? Capturing a piece of the American dream? In the Bible, there are two words that we find for life. The first word is the word bios. It means physical life. Every person here today that's sitting in this building has physical life. You are breathing. You are talking. You are thinking. You are a human being. You have been given physical life. But did you know it is possible to be living and still be dead? Now, some of you are probably thinking to yourself, man, our pastor has lost his ever-loving mind. 
Doesn't he know that it is utterly impossible for a person to be alive and dead at the same time? Now, think with me just a moment, though. We need to allow God's Word to determine what it is that we truly believe. So what I want you to do is to flip your Bibles over to Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians, the second chapter, and I want you to listen with what the Apostle Paul writes here to the church at Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 1. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. And he said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, Paul wasn't writing to a group of dead corpses. Paul was writing to a group of people that were physically alive. And in this passage of Scripture, Paul says, at one time you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He was writing to physically alive people, but Paul refers to them as being spiritually dead. So it is possible for a person to be physically alive and yet at the same time be spiritually dead. That brings us to the second word that we find in Scripture for life. It is the word Zoe. Now, I'm not referring to my daughter this morning. I'm referring to what Paul says in this passage of Scripture. I want you to go back to this passage of Scripture, and I want you to listen to what Paul says in verses 4 and 5. He says there in verse 4, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. When we trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we were given spiritual life in Christ Jesus. Now, we have a good old theological word for that. The word is called quickened. Have you ever heard that word before? The word quickened just simply means to be made alive. Being live is what the word actually means. And that is exactly what happened in our lives when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. There was a miracle that took place in our life, and the miracle that took place is we passed from life to death. Do you remember the words of Jesus Christ to old Nicodemus when he came to him? He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, well, how in the world can that happen? It is impossible for a man to enter into his mother's womb a second time. Jesus went on to head and explained that. No, Nicodemus, you're thinking about physical birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born spiritually again in order to see the kingdom of heaven. That is the truth of God's word. We have been quickened in our spirits. We have been made alive in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to flip back to John, the first chapter. I know we're flipping around a lot this morning, but I want us to weigh the evidence according to God's Word. Now, this is our takeaway this morning. Listen to me carefully. True life is found only in the source of life, Jesus Christ. In John, the 10th chapter, and the 10th verse, Jesus Christ said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. If you are looking for true life, you will not find it in temporal things. You will only find it in the eternal. John said, 
Jesus Christ is the life. Let me ask you a question this morning, believer. Lost person, if you're here today. Are you searching for life among dead things? I can tell you in the world in which we live in, there are many believers who are searching for life among dead things. They have convinced themselves, if I can get enough money, if I can get the right job, if I can find the right relationship, that will fill my deepest longings. It will quench my thirst, only to come to the end of life and realize their life is just as empty then as it was at the very beginning. You know why that is? Because life cannot be found in the temporal. Life can only be found in Jesus Christ because He is the source of life. Now let's go back to this text again. And I want us to do, what I want us to do is to read verses 4 and 5, and then I want us to skip over verses 6, 7, and 8, and I want us to read verse 9. I want you to listen to what it is that John is going to say. In him was life, and the light was, I mean, sorry, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now skip down to verse 9. He says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, I think most of you can probably guess what my next point is. It appears a number of different times in those three verses. As a matter of fact, it appears five times. John's truth that he was offering us concerning Jesus Christ is this. Jesus is the light. The theme light and darkness occurs a number of different times throughout the writings of John. It speaks of this spiritual battle between that which is evil and that which is good. John refers to Jesus Christ as being the light. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the light of the world. So let's talk about the light for a moment. And this is a question I want us to ask ourselves this morning. What does light do? What does light do? Well, the first thing I would say is this, light reveals what is hidden. Think about it for a moment. When you walk into a room and you switch on a light, what happens? Everything that was hidden is now revealed. Isn't it true? That which was unclear can now be seen clearly. The light simply illuminated what was already in that room. Let me illustrate it like this. How many of you parents have been walking through the home in the middle of the night? Rather than turning on the light, you choose to navigate the home in darkness. Then all of a sudden, you take a step, and when your foot strikes the ground, you feel this intense pain in the bottom of your foot. You run around, you're hopping, you're trying to find the light, you don't know what's happened, you turn on the light, and there lays the culprit in the middle of the floor, a Legos block or a Hot Wheels, or the head of a Barbie doll. You know what I'm saying? You know exactly what I mean, don't you? There's no worse feeling in the world. Or how about this one? The leftover peanut butter and jelly sandwich that's in the middle of the floor. 
we all understand what it's like to try to navigate the dark. But when the light comes on, it simply reveals what's in the room. Isn't that true? Yes. Now, let's apply that to the spiritual. That's exactly what the light of Jesus does to our souls. He turns up the light to this brightest setting and to the highest magnification. The light of the Holy Spirit exposes the sinfulness of man. It is painful, but it is necessary. It is necessary. The Christian author Selwyn Hughes wrote, We don't always want God to shine His light on our sin. It's too revealing, too strong. But remember, it is only ex- it, but it only exposes the problem, and until the problem has been exo- exposed, it cannot be solved. Once the Holy Spirit shines the spotlight of His conviction into the depths of our soul, you won't be strutting around bragging like a peacock about how good you are. Instead, you will be like Isaiah where you cry out, Woe is to me, for I am a person of unclean lips. The light simply reveals what is hidden. It exposes what's in the heart of mankind. Now, some of you may be saying to yourself this morning, well, pastor, what's in the heart of mankind? Evil, darkness. Now, I see some of you, you're like, oh, wait now, just a minute. I've known some pretty good people in my day and time. Some, some good moral people, Brother Jeff, that are not saved. Well, there's only one problem with that. It doesn't match what God's Word teaches. Now, remember what I said at the beginning of the sermon. We're going to lay the evidence out, and we're going to allow the evidence to truly determine what it is we believe and don't believe concerning Jesus Christ and anything that we believe concerning mankind. Turn your Bibles over to Romans, the third chapter. I want you to hear what it is that the Apostle Paul says about the condition of mankind. And then I will let you judge for yourself if you still think mankind is good. Listen to what Paul writes in verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you here this morning are Jews? All right. That means you're a Greek. So everybody fits into this category is what I want you to hear me say. All are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before them or before their eyes. That is the condition of mankind. That is the truth of God's word. 
You see, that is one of the greatest problems with modern-day psychology and the world in which we live in. It starts with the premise with the understanding that mankind is basically good. And I'm here to tell you today, that is not true. We are not basically good. We, apart from Jesus Christ, are utterly hopeless. Our hearts are filled full of evil, filled full of darkness. We stand in need of a Savior. That is the bad news, but I want you to hear me say something this morning. There is good news, and the good news is this. Jesus Christ can take it all away. He can wipe it all out. He can remove it. He is the light of the world. Jesus simply reveals what's in the heart of mankind. Why do you think people are so upset, so bitter toward Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ is constantly revealing the darkness and the evil that's in the hearts of mankind. You know that's true, right? That's the truth of God's Word. So the first thing that light does, it simply reveals that which was hidden. Second, light reveals the way. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is found in the 119th Psalm. It says this, The Word of God is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The light points to the way. Have you ever been on a dark trail at night? Do you know how hard it is to navigate a path in the middle of darkness without a light? If you think you've experienced darkness in America, go to Africa. It's called the Dark Continent. If you've ever seen a picture of it at night, there's just like one or two little spots of light that you see on the whole map. But there's times it is so dark in Africa, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. It's that dark. And the only way you can ever navigate the path that you're on is with a flashlight. The light points to the way. Now that raises an important question. What is the way? Jesus Christ is the way. The answer to life's greatest questions are not found in the latest bestseller. The answer to life is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. Now, this is important because later on, after Jesus Christ makes that statement about himself where he says, I am the light of the world, do you know what he's going to say about you and I? You are the light of the world. A city on the hillside cannot be hidden. Now that's, that's challenging, isn't it? Because you and I are called to be light in a very dark world. Now listen to me carefully this morning. We are not called to produce our own light. It's not what we're called to do. We are called to live in such a way that Jesus Christ vicariously lives through us and people see the light of Christ in us. Do you see what I'm saying? Some of you may be saying, well, now, Brother Jeff, how do we do that? How do we do that? 
we first do it with a very clear proclamation of the gospel message. Second, we do it by living in such a way that our lives match the gospel that we confess with our mouths. John said in this passage of Scripture that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Let's go back and let's look at verses 6, 7, and 8 as we close this morning. Listen to what he says here. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, did you notice what it was that John said about John the Baptist in this passage of Scripture? Now, it's important for us to understand these are two different Johns. You know that, right? John the Apostle is different than John the Baptist. They served two different roles. John the Apostle served as one of the apostles of Jesus Christ. But here in this passage, John gives us insight to the role that John the Baptist played in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Hundred of years before John was ever born, the prophet Isaiah wrote about the day of John in his book. This is what he said. He said, there would be one who would come to prepare the way of the Lord, a voice crying in the wilderness. That was John the, Bapti uh, John the Baptist's role. He announced the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He testified to that which was to come. It is said there are over 350 prophecies that are fulfilled in the Bible through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This one that we find here, in verses 6, 7, and 8, it's just one. If you're here this morning and you're still somewhat of a skeptic about the Bible, I would challenge you to seriously study the dozen of predictions that are made about Jesus Christ that were made centuries before Jesus Christ was ever born. Prophecies that predicted where and when Jesus would be born. Now, let me ask you a question here this morning. Y'all all look like knowledgeable people today. How many of you can control or con did control where you were born and who you were born to? All right, I just wanted to make sure we were all on the same boat together. You know, I, I can control a lot of things in life, or at least I think I can. But I could tell you right now, I could not control who my parents were going to be. And I could not control where my parents would live and where my mother would give birth to me. I couldn't control that one day I would be born in Coons, Hardin County Hospital, and I would live here in Lumberton, Texas. I could not control that. And none of you can control that. But the clear teaching of God's Word is this. Prophecy after prophecy predicted where and when Jesus would be born, where He would grow up, the miracles He would perform, the way He would die, even His crucifixion. And there is only one person who ever lived who could fulfill each one of them, and His name is Jesus Christ. Search the Word of God. It is the truth. Jesus is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Who is Jesus Christ? 
John said Jesus is the Word, God in the human flesh. Jesus is the eternal God. He has always existed. Jesus is creator. By him, for him, and through him, all things have their existence. Jesus is the life, true life, spiritual life is found in him and him alone. Jesus is the light. He reveals what, there, what, it, what is there and shows us the way. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. He is the long-awaited Messiah. Just look to the Word of God. The Word of God answers for us. It gives us evidence, clear evidence of who Jesus Christ is is what it does. As I stated last Sunday, there are really only two options after you examine the evidence. You can choose to reject Jesus Christ and continue to live to fulfill your own selfish desires and appetites, or you can choose to bow your knee and acknowledge that He is Lord. But I will promise you this. Whether you choose to bow your knee here on earth, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord. You may never bow your knee here on this, on this earth, but I promise you, in the presence of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you will bow your knee one day. Because He is God. He is Creator, and we are the created. And the created will bow their knee to the Creator one day. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word and the way it speaks to our hearts. We thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. It's not ambiguous. It is very, very clear to us who Jesus Christ is. He is everything he claimed to be. Father, as we enter into this time of invitation today, there's really one of three ways that we need to respond. For some here this morning, it may be to bow their knee to you, Lord Jesus, and to confess you as Lord and Savior of their life. For others this morning, it may be believers that are not walking in the right relationship with you. And what they need to do is go back, and they need to contemplate who you are, Lord Jesus, and see you for who you really are. For others of us this morning, we may be worshiping you and serving you in the manner that you desire. And what we need to do is be a bold proclamation of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. We need to be light in the midst of darkness. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts and lives in your perfect way. And I pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.